Welcome back, Freethinkers, to the Free Thought Project podcast. My name is Jason Bassler, and joining me today is the Free Thought Project Editor-in-Chief, Matt Agarist. Today we'll be talking to a guest I'm very excited to have on. This guy has been a huge factor in my own intellectual development and has been a pillar of positivity in my life the past couple of years. He is also incredibly knowledgeable about a number of topics, so it'll be an absolute pleasure talking with him today. Our guest today is Gavin Nasciamento, also known as Truth Warrior Gavin, or his other project, A New Kind of Human. Gavin has contributed to the Free Thought Project over the past year, and just like how we introduced Don Vide Jr. in our last podcast, we wanted to take some time to introduce him as well. Welcome to the Free Thought Project podcast, my friend. Thank you so much for having me, brother. It's, it's an honor. So you've been a researcher and writer for years now. Uh, I remember seeing your videos years ago when I first started getting into uh, all this and getting my intellectual footing in the community. And you've long been an advocate for truth and liberty. You were also one of the people who went down with us in 2018 when Facebook purged our accounts and we lost 6 million fans. You lost your pages and thousands of fans on that dreadful day. Do you mind telling our audience a little bit about yourself and what it was like back in October 2018 to watch all your years of hard work disappear in a click of a mouse? So for those who aren't familiar with me, I'm sure you can hear I have an accent. I'm from South Africa, but I did live in the United States from when I was 14 until the age of 28. And it was actually during that time that I began to get involved with this kind of work because obviously when you become aware and awakened to how the ruling class are really operating, it's very difficult to hold your tongue. In regards to the actual process that inspired me to kickstart things off, I myself do not have like a good education or come from a particularly propitious background. I got kicked out of high school. My paper credentials are not very enticing and then I thought well how can I get people to listen to me beyond the facade of authority because a lot of people are very blindly beholden to authority and then that's when I thought well the internet man this is a, such a great platform and it was so untapped in the beginning that I began to use that and then it snowballed right because then it doesn't matter what your credentials are it matters can you inform people? Can you empower people? Can that be verified by uh, the evidence? And so I began to pursue this more and more. It, it initially started as wanting to personally empower people to help them overcome their personal inner demons, to motivate them, and to be more like involved with life coaching. But as is true, I'm sure that you guys have experienced this as well, 
the more you pursue that path, you invariably run into a wall, and that wall is the state and the way the consumer society works, which is to say there's this massive machine that spends billions, and in terms of global, uh, a global perception, trillions of dollars every single year on disempowering people, on making sure that you don't feel like you're good enough, on making sure your education is not up to standard. And as I began to become aware of that, then yes, I got more involved in deep state politics, whereas in the past, I could care less about it. And I saw what was coming because the more you research the methodology of the ruling class, you start to understand how they operate, how they think. For example, if you research past revolutions, the one I like to use a lot is the Protestant Reformation against the Catholic Church. And I'm not a religious person, but in terms of history, it's a brilliant lesson to learn. You can see the methods that they use. The printing press came around and that helped to facilitate an unprecedented revolution. And there's been similar themes throughout history, right? Eventually what put, what brought down King Leopold, the, uh, the Belgian king, what brought him down because he was brilliant at propaganda was the Kodak camera. So whenever there's a revolution in information sharing, it empowers the common people. And of course the internet has empowered people on a, an absolutely unprecedented scale. And it's been a privilege to be a part of that. So I saw this was actually coming. And in 2017, a year before the infamous Facebook purge, I actually had my YouTube account banned. And I remember, it's quite funny that we should be talking about this, looking at a post that I made back in 2017, just after, and it's still up online, just after YouTube went ahead and deleted and banned my channel, where I warned everybody, I said, look, what's going on right now, this is just the beginning it's going to get insane and they're going to do it under the guise of something like, you know, fighting fake news or whatever ridiculous story it may be, but it's going to level up in a way that we cannot even quantify. And even for myself, realizing that it was coming, I didn't think it would be on this level. So it was expected. I am disappointed with myself because I should have prepared a little bit better, but it was expected. Yeah, man, we started reporting on those YouTube bands back then too, back in starting in like, uh, you know, in, in 2016 and 17, they started censoring anti-war material. You know, you could show, yep. like, you couldn't show videos uh, of U.S. war crimes anymore. And uh, so we started raising the red flag. We're like, look at this, what, you know, what's going on? They're trying to purge the internet of, of U.S. war crimes. This is not okay. That makes them complicit in the war crimes by suppressing evidence of it you know and and then it just it's escalated you know with the with the big purge in 2018 and then to to fast forward to 2020 and it's and it's just like it's there they purge the entire internet of this and we can't have opinions or or post anything contrary to what the official establishment narrative is and that's that's very dangerous as we've been saying as you know you and uh the free thought project have been saying for years now, as uh, if we allow them to control this narrative on the internet, then the internet's no no longer a force for good. It's uh, it can become you know a place where just misinformation is spread, and that's basically what it 
for those who don't know how to use it, you know, they just buy right into any misinformation, including not just mainstream misinformation, but, you know, like stuff like the QAnon uh, garbage that, that was pushed around and um, on top of the mainstream narratives that are sometimes yeah. patently false and easily provable, you know, so it's a it's a dangerous road we're embarking on man and and i think that this tool that was amazing and and led to an enlightenment and human um experience and and mentality is is now being turned against us to do the exact opposite of that the real question at this point is when is youtube going to rename itself rtube right because it's not youtube anymore it's not for the public it's not for sharing any type of anti-establishment information it's more or less just, you know, the, the type of information that the establishment uh, wants to be at the forefront. A lot of people, too, I think there's a misconception, think that when Alex Jones was taken down from YouTube and eventually Twitter, that was like one of the big first censorship cases. And there was a lot of censorship going on before that. Alex Jones certainly wasn't the first. He was one of the biggest people to be censored off these mainstream state platforms. But the alt media community, as it was once called, has been uh, dismantled, badly splintered. Um, what do you think is the next step for media outlets like ourselves that don't have the funding like mainstream media or the power players in our corner like big tech? Uh, recently, several organizations and big names like James Corbett was removed from YouTube, Freedom Faction and Stand Up 911 from Instagram. Where do we go from here as a community of activists, journalists, and commentators? Let me just quickly uh, clarify that. Did you say James Corbett was removed from YouTube? Yeah, as of uh, two days ago. Oh, that is terrible, man. I'm a, I'm a big fan of James. But I mean, it was inevitable. It was inevitable. Yeah. Yep, most definitely. All right. Well, just in regards to that, that question, I think this is something we're all contending with, and it's going to take a unified effort to solve it. Uh, but first, above and beyond all else, I try to think of things not just in relation to the whole entire movement, but also on the individual level, because we are the foundation of this movement, not just myself, not just you, which sounds entirely dis delusional and arrogant. We are an instrumental part of that, but there are many moving parts to that. And in order for that to continue to move forward, the individual has to take care of themselves, right? You can't pour from an empty cup. So as we embark on this journey to figure out what is the next step, we need to actually put in daily practices and processes that can preserve our mental endurance our spiritual strength. And one of the reasons why I say that, aside from the obvious, is I am very much convinced, very confident that the ruling class are engaged in not just a major psyop, uh, a psychological warfare operation, but warfare as well in the literal sense. And warfare comes in many shapes, sizes, and forms but it's also about squeezing people financially. And I'm sure I can speak, I don't want to put words in your guys' mouth, but I know for myself, when things began to get good with Facebook, where we could actually monetize our content and do something beautiful for society and actually make a living from doing that, 
that was amazing because then we had the freedom just to focus solely on doing this work. But now what they did is they pulled that rug right from under our feet and a lot of people found themselves in the position where maybe they were relying on a job when they first began and then they said, no, I'm doing good financially. I'll go just jump head in. I'll dive head first and I'll just climb into doing this as my work. And then, of course, they pulled out the rug. So a lot of us are hurting in that particular sense. And it's uncertain about how can we recover from that. So we, we're all trying to scramble. We're doing the best that we can. And I'm not particularly sure the answer to that question, to be humble and to be honest. But I do know that when you are in a journey, when you're going through some kind of suffering, when you're going through a struggle, you can always get through that struggle, provided that you do the right things on a daily basis. And that starts with taking care of your own mental well-being. And then that will benefit you to be a better father, a better brother, a better cousin, and a better civilian, a better person for society. And when the mind is functioning strong, then you can come up with solutions to your problems. Then beyond that, if we look at the actual whole, I, I don't really fear because this is an antiquated struggle between elitism and agents of truth, right? those who fight for humanity and then those who fight for elitism. It's been going on for a very long time. And elitists will always come up with some kind of counter-reformation, counter-revolution to try to repress and censor those who are challenging them, those who embody the truth. And sure, they can, they can silence us, they can throw some of us in prison, they can even assassinate us, they can torture us, they can do terrible, terrible things. But as I have researched and looked into the human story over thousands and thousands of years, that's always blown up in their face. The truth just snowballs. It gets stronger. It amplifies. It echoes. Um, Gary Webb is a perfect example. Man's no longer here, but his ghost still haunts the ruling class. So hmm. where will we go? I'm sure people will come up with all kinds of plans and, and ways to get around it. That wasn't quite the answer that I was expecting, but I'm so glad that you touched on that. And uh, full disclaimer, Gavin and I are friends. We talk on the phone occasionally. Um, and that's actually, of interest. <laughs> <laughs> that's actually something that uh, he's been stressing as far as my own agenda, my own behavior, my own focus is to try to make sure I, I do give myself some time and space and energy to take a step back. And uh, I, I've really started to practice implementing that over the past few weeks. I've been trying to take more walks. I'm personally, I don't know how many, we don't really talk about these kinds of subjects on this podcast, but Matt and myself are workaholics. We put in a ton and ton of effort and hours for the Free Thought Project. There was years that we worked seven days a week straight through the day. It's something that we're very passionate about, and we realize how dire the situation is. So, you know, not only between our own finances and the, the future of the Free Thought Project, but just the state of the world, the state of society, and the encroaching tyranny that's upon us. So it, it is important that we do have that mental stability because, yeah, it, it is very easy to become a workaholic and kind of miss the whole point of why we're doing this, you know, and you become more effective or your your views and your perspectives strengthen when you have a chance to take a step back and actually not always be constantly putting yourself in front of the computer screen or trying to take your attention elsewhere. I think uh, it's a very powerful thing when we can take a step back 
and actually just listen to our inner mind. That's when some of my best thoughts come up. That's when some of the best correlations for article angles or meme ideas come up for me. It's that contemplation that is very important. So I'm really glad that you brought that up, Gavin. For sure, brother. Yeah, yeah. Well, like like what Gavin said, you know, we there's uh, we don't know where this is where this is leading, but he's confident, and I'm confident that there is going to be some alternative form of information exchange grow and, and flourish uh, in this um, in this time where we have you know the big tech and fa- and social media sensors clamping down upon us. We do have a little budding alternative social media n- network growing on MeWe and, and all these other platforms like Minds. And um, I mean, it's some of them are just becoming echo chambers uh, for political, you know, uh, for certain political views like Parler and, and those other ones that, that evolved after Trump was uh, removed from Twitter and Facebook. But there's, you know, like MeWe, it's, it's got all types of people on there, man. I'm seeing there's like radical leftists on there. There's, there's, there's super Trump supporters. There's a bunch of libertarian president or presidents. There's uh there's anarchists. There's, there's everybody out there. And I think that, you know, the market is finding a way to work through and around these massive sensors in uh, in big tech. And I think that that's where this is going from, you know, from, it's just a natural reaction is, is the people don't want to be silenced. And so we're, our voices and and money is moving elsewhere so that we can fight around that. You know, we we talk about this pretty often on the podcast, but Facebook is far from a private entity. Um, You know, they've partnered with U.S. government funded think tanks. You know, they've vowed on the Senate floor to facilitate the interests of the U.S. government. They've taken U.S. government subsidies. Um, You know, so just the, the idea that these platforms are private and aren't working for the state, or at least colluding with the state, is um, pretty far off. Of course, you know there there are times when alternative media does get things wrong, or we miss things, and and uh, you know the mainstream media happens to pick up a topic, and they tend to get it right sometimes. Of course, they they miss a lot of things as well. What do you think is the least talked about yet most important topic that seems to be under the radar of mainstream media and indie media right now? I would have to say unequivocally that we are living in the greatest revolution currently in human history. And I realize that's a very bold statement to make, but the way that I view it is I mark it actually with the protests against the potential at that time, the potential invasion of Iraq. At the time, the media, the establishment media tried desperately to trivialize and undermine the protests that were taking place. But eventually it began to grow so much more. And now people, for the first time, they, they had their own cameras. Again, that technological revolution. And the protests just grew and they grew and they grew. And then it became millions in different countries simultaneously all over the world. In fact, the Guinness Book of Records still recognizes the protests that went on in Rome. I think it was two or three million people in Rome alone. They were protesting against the Iraq war. Now, in spite of these major protests where the majority were clearly expressing their disgust at invading over what we now know to be lies, the ruling class went ahead and they still did it anyways. That to me is probably the most revolutionary event or beginning, I should say, 
of the era that we are currently in right now. And I'm sure you guys can also attest to this in many ways where you've seen things unfold and you've watched the collective consciousness of society as an aggregated whole where people have taken a quantum leap in thought like for, for the first time ever in history terms like false flag deep state are becoming more and more household terms that is amazing that's that's profound that's incredible so for me that was a major major event that kickstarted off the era that we're currently in when they tried to invade Syria and there was all of that blowback from the alternative media, I am convinced that they would have gotten into Syria to bomb it, to shit, but the alternative media actually prevented them from doing that because with their false flag attempted chemical attack, it was thwarted, it was exposed all over the media. So the scales have tipped in an irreversible way that's my perception on this. It's an irreversible way. But now, much like as I quoted the Protestant Reformation that happened all those years ago, several centuries ago, where after that Reformation, there was a counter-reformation, a, reformation, a counter-revolution. The stage we are currently in is a counter-revolution. That is what all the censorship is about. That is what the lockdowns are all about. So what is the most significant event? It's the fact that we are living in the most revolutionary time in known human history. Man, that's a very powerful point, Gavin. And uh, I think we all acknowledge that. We just don't form that actual thought into our heads, you know? And I think that we, we recognize that, right? And at least at the Free Thought Project, we do. You know, I was telling Matt, we covered a story not too long ago, and it just didn't do as well. I think it was a story about cannabis. Yeah, yeah. It was the uh, one about the, the for the first time in the history of the United States, there's a university offering a cannabis scholarship. The, the point is that there's certain topics that, you know, three or four years ago used to be very popular for us. There were topics that we know we could cover and our audience would resonate with them. But over the course of time, um, Monsanto, the drug war, a few of these topics, people seem to become less and less interested in it because ultimately they understand the concept, they understand the injustice, they understand the coercion involved, and it, they're no longer interested in, in learning about that specific topic. doesn't mean they don't care about it anymore. So yeah, I, I think it's it's been, at least from my experience and my perspective, that that is very true. And people continue to search and try to find out new information, new perspectives to kind of better understand the world they're living in and the society around us. I think, if anything, people are very, very hungry for that type of information. And that's why the Free Thought Project and Police the Police have been so successful in the past. That's why New Kind of Human has been so successful in the past is because we were sharing that information that people were looking for. Yeah, we've, we've come a a long way in a very short period of time with the power of the internet. And it is, it is very inspiring to know that we've made so much progress in a very short period of time. I agree, man. And on, on that topic of the, uh, the, the cannabis scholarship article, what you and I had discussed was, you know, the, the reason that it's these type of articles no longer go viral anymore is because the battle is, is we, we won the battle. Like the, the reason we used to put out so many, um, you know, pro cannabis articles and everything was because prohibition was a massive 
was still a massive issue back in the day, but now it's like the drug war is crumbling. You know, we had historical uh, amounts of um, um, states, you know, passed legalized marijuana last election. An entire state, Oregon, uh, legalized or decriminalized all drugs. You know, the the information that we've been putting out for, you know, for nearly a decade is is start is is having an effect. And the, you know, the, it can be no longer be ignored or censored or, 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 you know, discredited because the information that we put out is based on other places who have done these things and who have seen the benefits and the results that, that come from ending prohibition and the freedom that is associated with that. So, you know, we don't, it doesn't resonate anymore because a lot of people, you know, half the country doesn't have to worry about it because they have legal weed, you know, I mean, it's not, and then, and, and, and there's, there's people, there's less and less people going to jail for it. It's, uh, for drug abuse, you know, people are realizing that, that, that drug abuse is, you can't solve somebody's addiction problem with, with a police state. And so th- that's positive change that, that, uh, you know, it's affected us on traffic wise, but on, on that front, it's, it's, it's still inspiring to know that, you know, that's the, the, the effect that we've had over the last uh, eight years, you know, with just the Free Thought Project. But you and I before that have been fighting this battle long before we even met, you know, and so shoving this information out, refusing to be silenced. And it's like we finally have, you know, like a victory and a uh, notch in our belts. You know, this is this was one of them. Yep. Yeah. And these types of victories are, are hard to quantify. You know, it's hard for us to really know when we uh, win that battle, but the collective consciousness has, has risen. Yeah. People who still try to like advocate for marijuana to be illegal. I mean, they look like freaking assholes, man. They just look so stupid. <laughs> and, and it used to not be like that. You know, it used to be like that, that, uh, you know, just five years ago, just, nice. just five, four or five years ago, you know, they, it was still the marijuana was still relentlessly pursued by the police state. And, and now look at it, dude. You can have a conversation with your grandparents now, or or any like elderly people, because the stigma, the the block in their brains has been removed by constant exposure to this information that shows that what a ridiculous notion it is to have prohibition on anything that doesn't harm anybody else. Yeah, I think it's safe to say that info wars are among us, and uh, you know we're we're knee deep in them right now. And a lot of times, uh, information is hard to really verify it it's hard to discern what's real what's not misinformation is rife throughout the internet i mean we we literally have some outlets out there just making stuff up it's not even like they're potentially mis uh, misunderstanding certain information i mean they're just making up clickbait titles to to bring in the ad revenue you're at the tip of the spear when it comes to researchers who understand propaganda psychological warfare and social engineering uh, there's one person who has been called the godfather of propaganda. And uh, is there any chance you could explain who Edward Bernays is and why it's important to understand his role in modern day efforts of social conditioning? Yeah, for sure. And I actually wrote a, a particular chapter in the book that I'm working on where I focus on Edward Bernays. And the reason for that he's actually termed the public of father relations. The reason for that is because he pioneered so many of the methods that are used by corporations and even governments today. He pioneered these things almost a century ago. He was the nephew of Sigmund Freud, who was really the father of psychoanalysis. 
And what he did was he weaponized that esoteric knowledge of how to manipulate or understand the mind and really the unconscious mind, and he weaponized it against the common people. Now, just to put into context how significant and important Edward Bernays is, because although he has become a bit more well-known in modern times, which is fantastic, a lot of people still aren't really clued up to who this dude is. But Life Magazine, just, just to put a little bit of perspective on this, Life Magazine named him as one of the 100 most influential Americans of the 20th century. And now bear in mind, this list did not include a single U.S. president, nor did it include Michael Jordan, or, and I think it was also Al Capone. So that, this is a very influential individual that we're talking about. And that is the nature of shadow government, right? It's, it's not about who is at the front tier, who's got the image, who's getting the publicity. It's about who's actually having the biggest influence on society. Now, what made him so skilled, some of the tactics that he would use, for example, he pioneered the so-called independent front group, where there was on one occasion where he worked for Calvinator, and Calvinator, they used to make fridges, refrigerators. Well, he created a so-called independent scientific group called the Temperature Research Foundation, and it was just total nonsense. But because he pioneered that tactic, it's, it's prevalent today. The big tobacco companies picked that up and, and they ran with it. Uh, another thing was with, uh, with hiring celebrities, which is particularly propitious when you consider the political climate of today, right? With the vaccines and all the celebrities and stuff. He was very well known to use celebrities to push his products. So in the past, this was actually so long ago, it was before Hollywood became what Hollywood is today. There was Broadway. Broadway was kind of like a predecessor to Hollywood. What he would do was he would pay attractive singers, female singers, to smoke Lucky Strikes because he realized that the common people are very influenced by these authorities. So he would constantly use celebrities. Another example, and this is a testament to how ingenious, brilliant, and why you should also never underestimate your enemy, is the tactic of targeting something known as the associative memory or your unconscious mind. And what he did was, in the past, this was, I think in, it was the late 1920s, I think it was 1929, if I recall, he was approached by the American, uh, the American tobacco company, and they saw a massive demographic that they were missing out on, which was the female population. It was women, because back then it was considered to be unsavory for a lady to smoke cigarettes. There was a, a major taboo in society about that. So they, they approached Edward Bernays and they said, look, you know, how can, we, how can we reach this demographic? That's a lot of dollar bills that we don't want to be missing out on. And what Edward Bernays was, uh, did was he actually went ahead and he consulted with another psychoanalyst. I believe he was actually the first psychoanalyst in the United States. And he consulted with this dude. And they came up with this ingenious plot that what they should do is take advantage of what then was the civil rights movement for women's rights. They should take advantage of this 
and associate smoking cigarettes with emancipation and with freedom and with liberty. And the way they came up with this was so damn clever, they decided that they would use the term torches of freedom, which is to say the cigarettes. And of course, this is so brilliant because that, that concept is even more powerful than the taboo of being against cigarette smoking in society because what is the torch of freedom? It's the lady liberty. And that means if you go against it, you go against American values. So to kickstart this propaganda campaign off, he chose the platform of the, um, the Easter parade. It was in New York. And this was very clever because back then this Easter parade was more like a major fashion show for the rich, the wealthy. Lots of media outlets would be there. Cameras would be out there. And again, he hired a bunch of celebrities, including a, a Vogue editor, another prominent feminist, I can't remember her name. And then he had them light these cigarettes up and cry out how they are torches of freedom and they're casting off our chains. So he took something that was essentially, and as you can imagine, sales skyrocketed from then. And ever since, women have been smoking like chimneys all around the world. And the ingenious move behind this, like I said, is he targeted the associative memory, our unconscious desire, and that continues to this very day. That's why when you go down the, the grocery aisle, you'll see Spider-Man on this GMO cereal, because they know unconsciously the associative memory gets targeted for children, and that creates emotional excitement. They don't know why, but they want that cereal. And it's the same with uh, McDonald's, with Ronald McDonald, for example, this friendly, nice slim clown selling this shit to children. So that is essentially why Edward Bernays is such an important character for people to study. And I just, I just kind of uh, scratched the surface right now. Yeah, there's certainly a lot to say about Mr. Bernays. He, uh, he was the first person to use the term public relations, which I think is kind of interesting because that term is thrown around now um, so much and public relations to a certain extent is propaganda. And, uh, you know, he, he wrote a book in 1928 boldly called propaganda. You know, he didn't pull any punches or try to obscure the name of his, his book at all, which is kind of funny to me, but in the book, he, he doesn't attempt to sugarcoat anything. You know, he, he made this statement. Here's a quote. The conscious and intelligent manipulation of organized habits and opinions of the masses is an important element in democratic society. Those who manipulate this unseen me mechanism of society constitute an invisible government, which is the true ruling power of our country. We are governed, our minds are molded, our tastes form, our ideas suggested largely by men we have never heard of, and almost every act of our daily lives, whether in the sphere of politics or business, in our social conduct or our ethical thinking, we are dominated by the relatively small number of persons who understand the mental processes and social patterns of the masses. It is they who pull the wires that control the public. Yeah, that's a profound quote. It's one of my favorites by him, and it explains so much, man. If you read that quote, read it again and again, then you go look at society, the global society that we live in currently, you can see that there's this, that I don't mean humans are naturally, we're, we're, we're herd creatures, you know, we like to stay in groups and everything, but it's obvious that we've been, you know, we've been put in these factions. We have these left and right paradigm factions and which both uh, are essentially the same thing. They both support the establishment. They just push back and forth against each other every time that there's a, a different, you know, a different person up for election. 
but ultimately the same goal is passed. So there's, you know, war, more wars happened. Uh, we lose freedoms, you know, rights are, rights are usurped. It's uh, doesn't matter which party is happening because the people behind that, um, that mission to control society, you know, they're, they're all, they're both, both sides are implementing the same, the same propaganda to, to achieve their goal. And it's like, it's, it's, it was blatantly obvious as far back as George Bush with, uh, you know, W when, when he was like, you were either with us or you're with the terrorists, you know? So if you spoke out against the, the wars, you know, in Afghanistan and Iraq back in the early two thousands, then you were a terrorist. No one could, pro you know, no one could speak out against the wars because you, you would be compared to a terrorist. And for years, like it, there was not a very large anti-war movement until, you know, like a year after the Afghanistan war. We had been in Iraq for several years and then we go into Afghanistan and only then was there this large anti-war movement. And then look how quickly that was uh, squashed again. You know, we put Obama into power and, and, it, and it appeased the left anti-war crowd and they went to – because that same propaganda was used against them, the anti-war crowd started supporting war. Because now a black man who is the first black president of the United States is is bombing the children in and you know in the Middle East and and then we had which made like the the right wing become the anti-war crowd for a little while until Trump got into power and you know whenever he was bombing Syria and launching hundreds of tomahawk missiles at them with his first year in the office uh, you know they all supported that. Not all, not everybody. I guess there was a few exceptions, but still, like that's the mind manipulation tactics of Edward Bernays have been expanded today to such unfathomable levels with the human experiments that the U.S. government has carried out over the years, using this and in their their techniques and mind control. And I know this sounds like crazy conspiracy theories, but this is all true. This is all verifiable. This is declassified government documents that you can go see on the government's own websites. You know. The U.S. government has been ex has been experimenting with mind control since the early 1900s that you know that we know about. They even have they pay millions of dollars a year to to study the effects of cat shit on human minds to see how they can control people's minds because there's this there's this fungus or mold oh, that, that grows in cat shit, you know, and and and, and it <laughs> makes. I mean, this is real stuff. This is crazy, but that's what the U.S. government is. It sounds it sounds wild and batshit crazy, but it is real, and that's uh, you know, there's they've been studying this mind control for years and years and years, and and unless you're aware that these techniques are being employed against us in every facet of our lives, from corporate to to entertainment to government, you know, then you're just gonna fall right in line along with them, and then just become a soldier for one of their causes that all marches you towards the same end goal of you know total domination and compliance. Yeah, that that old Bushism. You're either with us or you're for the terrorists. You know that sounds very familiar to uh, what we're dealing with now. You know, if you don't wear a mask and social distance, then you hate science and you hate your fellow man. Yeah, that's a great point. I didn't even think about that, man. But yeah, that's the exact same thing. If you question the lockdowns, then you don't want to follow science. You know, despite despite thousands of like Harvard and Ivy League educated scientists questioning lockdowns, right? Like they, they've they've effectively neutered the actual intellectual resistance to the establishment narrative. You know, it used to be when other experts would come out in the field, respected, renowned, 
worldly experts in the matter, you know, in matters of science that they would be listened to. But now they're just they're just shut up like the Great Barrington Accord or Declaration. You know, that was that was written off as fake news by these. We had Harvard scientists and, and, and Oxford scientists all come together and, you know, question the lockdowns. And here we have like a site like PolitiFact saying, oh, no, that's wrong. You, you have to believe us instead of them. You know, and, and then pe- most people do. They just write it off. And, oh, yeah, well, PolitiFact said that the Great Barrington Declaration was fake. So, yeah, we're, we're going to go back and listen to them instead. You know? it's, it's mind-blowing how easy it is to manipulate people these days. And it all stems back from this study of mind, mind control and, and, and population control. It's, it's insanity. Yes, it's, it's insane. And so much of what you guys just said... I would love to comment on because you just dropped so many truth bombs there, Matt and Jason. Um, one thing in particular, before maybe I lose my train of thought, that I do want to mention that's particularly revel- relevant in relation to what you're talking about is something known as the Alice in Wonderland tactic. I don't know if you guys are familiar with it, but for your viewers who may not be, the Alice in Wonderland tactic and first off, you can corroborate that this is actually, it's, it's real. You can verify it. It was in a 1963 counterintelligence manual from the Central Intelligence Agency entitled Kubark, K-U-B-A-R-K. And what the Alice in Wonderland tactic is, is that when you're interrogating somebody, you don't go there with one individual or even two. You come inside with several people into the interrogation room. And the way that you engage the interrogatee is by making no sense whatsoever. You start to act in outrageous ways, not in outlandish ways, but ways that just do not make sense. And at first, what will happen, the, the person will probably respond almost in a trivial way. They'll laugh it off because they can recognize how ridiculous the behavior is. But the way that the the Alice in Wonderland tactic works, the methodology, is it chips away at people psychologically over a prolonged period of time until they begin to question their notion of what is real and what is unreal, what is sane and what is insane. And because they become so uncomfortable by doing this day in and day out, by what starts to resemble a totally illogical world, they begin to be more likely to cooperate. And then they will be willing to give the information that they ordinarily wouldn't be willing to be given. Now, the reason why I say this is relevant, specifically in relation to modern events, is currently there are very illogical, irrational, and insane things going on around society. This narrative is also being amplified by the establishment media, whilst they trivialize uh, trivialize very objective, evidence-based, scientific narratives, such as the one that Matt went ahead and quoted, the Great Barrington Declaration, which, by the way, is more than 50,000, 50,000 doctors and scientists who have come out and said the lockdowns are dangerous and deadly. So they undermine those voices, but then they amplify the more ridiculous ones, such as QAnon, and many of the other things that are going on around society, and of course, these gender debates and so on and so forth, 
things that in the grand scheme of things are just they are silly compared to what's going on right we have half a billion people being pushed into poverty we have 130 million being pushed to starvation because of the lockdowns but the longer you can prolong this state of insanity the more likely people will acquiesce and say you know what i'll take a fast track vaccine I'll, I'll i'll just take a vaccine passport what is it that you need me to do because this is becoming mentally intolerable Wow, yeah. man. I never heard of that before, but look, that's, look I'm going to definitely have to go down that rabbit hole, <laughs> pun intended. <laughs> that's uh, that's insane. I think uh, out of everybody, Gavin, you know, there's a lot of people complaining about the COVID lockdowns and all the different um, mandates and safety measures that have been taken. I feel like most of those people are just complaining where I've seen you go particularly hard when it comes to research and putting out videos and memes, I feel like you're you're an expert at this point. What are three facts about COVID that you think are misunderstood or just straight up ignored? So there is a lot to unpack there. And just very quickly, I would encourage anybody that's genuinely interested in this topic to dedicate the time to watch a presentation I made. It is full of verifiable sources and citations. I mean, hundreds, hundreds and it's five hours long. It's a, it's a lot to digest and take in, but definitely look into that. In terms of maybe just three things, as a summary of what I would say is particularly significant, and it may not be entirely unknown, but it's definitely not getting the, the mic time that it, de that it deserves. The first, undoubtedly, is that lockdowns are extremely unscientific, guys very, very unscientific, and they are actually extremely deadly. And the way that we know this, again, you can watch the five-hour presentation, or I made also, I wrote a blog entitled 10, 10 Pro-Lockdown Myths That Need to Be Debunked Once and For All. We are also going into detail about this stuff. But the reason why lockdowns are unscientific is they are almost exclusively, entirely rooted in something known as theoretical modeling. And theoretical modeling is based on theory, not concrete science. Whereas the dangers of things like unemployment, social isolation, we have decades of peer-reviewed science spanning continents showing that these things are extremely dangerous and deadly. And that doesn't even go into uh, how deadly stress itself is and the fear-mongering media. Uh, in terms of the theoretical modeling, where the studies from this come from, if you actually look into them, they admit that they don't know if there's any factual foundation for their claims. They admit this outright. And one of the key figures that has put forth this research is a dude by the name of Professor Neil Ferguson. And he's actually the same guy that put out that study that claimed 40 million people could potentially die around the world. And I think he said something ridiculous, like 1.8 million in the United States, an extremely large inflated figure. Well, and this is actually, I looked it up as well. This is what encouraged the U.S. government and the U.K. government, amongst others, to go ahead and actually impose lockdowns. This dude, Professor Neil Ferguson from Imperial College London, and the reason why this is significant is because this guy has a consistent history of terrible, not, not bad predictions, terrible predictions 
where he has completely gotten it wrong time and time again. In 2009, for example, he said that the so-called swine flu, that was going to go ahead and kill several million people. In the end, a couple 10,000 died. So what we have is a guy that has a history of bad predictions, and the media went ahead and they picked up this study, which, by the way, it was never published in a scientific journal, and it was never peer-reviewed. They picked up that study, they spread it like wildfire, and that went ahead and kick-started lockdowns worldwide. That is profoundly unscientific. And then by way of comparison, other researchers that have come forward, such as those two doctors that were censored from YouTube when they made an organic interview that went viral organically, when they presented their findings, then all of a sudden it's, the media makes a big fuss about it. In addition to that, and this is another very important point, Imperial College London is currently in partnership with, and including at the time of that ridiculous study that was never published in the Science Journal or peer-reviewed, they are currently in partnership with the big pharma vaccine companies that are profiting from this so-called pandemic, which is a massive, obvious conflict of interest. And then lastly as well with that, Professor Neil Ferguson, he is a past paid consultant of GlaxoSmithKline, which is the biggest vaccine manufacturer in the entire world. So that, that's, that right there is just, it shows you, it is profoundly unscientific. And again, in terms of the scientific evidence, we have decades, man, spanning continents of how extremely dangerous and deadly it is. And then just in terms of current reports, like I said, the United Nations University, they're saying that half a billion people, 8% of the entire world's population, are being pushed into poverty. You cannot even quantify the damage that that is doing. Suicide rates are spiking in different parts of the world. And then also the World Food Programme is saying that 130 million additional people are going to starve to death. The second thing I would say in all of this is the, the insidious overreaching influence of the big pharma vaccine industry. It is, the, the way I describe them is that they are just like big tobacco, but on steroids. In fact, there was a study from Johns Hopkins University that claimed they could lose as an industry, okay? The big pharma vaccine industry, they could lose $1 trillion with a T and they would still be the most profitable industry in the world. Not military, not oil, the pharmaceutical vaccine industry. That is just mind-blowing. So anyways, the reason why this is a big issue is if you look at these companies, they have a consistent history of corruption. GlaxoSmithKline, over and over again, been caught for bribery. They paid a fine of around $3 billion. Pfizer, same thing. If you look it up, you will, even on Google you can find this, a news article headline where they were fined for a decade of bribery. AstraZeneca, they got caught faking conferences to bribe doctors. Faking conferences to bribe doctors. In addition to that, oh yes, and then of course Johnson Johnson also have been caught bribing. They've been caught implicated in the opioid epidemic. They've hidden asbestos in their, in their baby products, which uh, Reuters, I think it was either Reuters or Associated Press, they did an investigation where they showed that they deliberately covered it up. Then also GlaxoSmithKline and Pfizer, both of these companies have actually been caught experimenting on innocent civilians, particularly babies without proper consent.
and they've done this on a consistent basis. In fact, with Pfizer in Nigeria, they, the government went ahead and sued them, and then they tried to blackmail the government. WikiLeaks documents actually show they tried to blackmail the documents to keep it hush-hush and keep it quiet. And they ended up uh, settling out of court for that. But a few of the people that they experimented on, some of those kids actually died. And the parents said they never gave proper consent. The same thing with GlaxoSmithKline. They experimented on, along with Pfizer, they experimented on innocent orphans as young as three months old in the United States. And the same thing in Argentina. GlaxoSmithKline experimented on, I think it was actually thousands of illiterate, impoverished people's babies. And again, some of them actually died. So we're talking about an extremely toxic industry. And also, they have a history of consistently covering up how their products are demonstrably dangerous. Another one that I almost forgot to mention here is Sanofi. Sanofi is currently dealing with manslaughter charges, which is a murder, because they knowingly concealed how dangerous their products are. Then in addition to that, they have a consistent history of bribing doctors. And if you look, because I've taken the time, because I'm crazy like that, I've looked into who is advising governments worldwide. I looked into who's advising the US government, the UK government, the South African government where I am, and then also the World Health Organization, and also a couple other European governments. And they are racked with big pharma vaccine connected uh, doctors and scientists. Obvious, obvious conflict of interest. And the same thing can be then seen in the media. Then in addition to that, we have obviously Bill Gates from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. And the reason why he is so insidious and his influence is such a big problem is because he has major investments in the vaccine companies and he directly partners with these vaccine companies. So he is in a position where in spite of what political fact tells you because they are lying, he can profit from this. And then they have all kinds of influence. I'll go through all of this again in that very long and lengthy presentation. They have all kinds of influence over the, me the media, including Google. In fact, Google, people don't realize they have a sister organization, Verily, which is a pharmaceutical company. So they are also embedded and entrenched with these same pharmaceutical vaccine companies, and they work together. And then the very last thing, and I'll wrap it up here, is there is no logical basis for everybody needing to get a vaccine. It is non-existent. It is profoundly unscientific. If we look at, for example, Johns Hopkins University, they state that the uh, case fatality rate is 0.02%. To quantify that for people that don't precisely understand what that means, that means this virus has a 99.98% survival rate. To corroborate that, Worldometer, which has been keeping track of statistics in real time, of the more than 20 million current active cases, and they are trusted by governments and universities and the media establishments worldwide, of the more than 20 million active current COVID cases, 99.6% are in, and I quote, mild condition. And this does not even take into consideration the very large number of people that, again, random studies on random populations show between 25 to 81% of the population that they studied and tested, they had the virus and it was so insipid that they did not even know it. Now, the reason why I say that a vaccine is not needed in these instances is because when a virus is not lethal, when the threat of infection is, and I quote, a mild condition, that means that you can get a natural infection because it's not a risk. Vaccines are considered to be peremptory. They are considered to be essential 
only when the threat of infection can potentially be too risky. And because that's not the case here, and we actually have available studies showing that natural infection produces a form of comparable immunity to those who are getting the fast-track vaccine without the added danger that a fast-track vaccine has with it, then what we essentially come to realize is not only is there no logical foundation for why everybody should get a vaccine, especially when kids under 15 are at higher risk of dying from the flu or pneumonia, so they have a negligible risk, but what we realize in that particular instance, when you really sit down and you critically think about all of this, that the only fundamental difference between a vaccine and getting a natural infection is public spin. That's powerful, man. And like Gavin said, you know, these these companies producing these vaccines have a, a, a really, you know, really sketchy background up to and including like criminal liability where they've paid out billions of dollars and not just, you know, not just those experiments, but defrauding, you know, millions of people with, uh, with, with, with their drugs. And, and this led to the harm, like where thousands of people have gotten sick and, and hundreds have died and not a single person has ever gone to jail. And yet we're told, you know, like, okay, well, we can trust them when it comes to this vaccine that they fast tracked in the last 10 months. You know, it's just, and then if you, if you try to point that out, then you're censored. <laughs> Or you're, uh, you know, or you're banned from Facebook for something like that. It's, uh, it's, it's just, it's really crazy. Even if you call it experimental, they don't even want you saying that word. Apparently that word is taboo and off the table for them because, you know, according to them, the, the experts, it's, it's not experimental, even though there's been zero long-term testing. But uh, I would say that it's probably even more than poverty, uh, suicides, and uh, wealth disparity. According to Fox, uh, drug de drug overdose deaths have surged during the pandemic. Um, crimes has spiked over the past year and a half, and even STD cases are at an all-time high. So there's many unforeseen consequences that have been um, associated to these lockdowns and you know quote safety measures. And uh, when you were mentioning that the lockdowns are unscientific, Gavin, it actually reminded me of Albuquerque Journal. There was like an article from May 2020 that the social distancing theories that were adopted by uh, the CDC and World Health Organization actually came from a 15-year-old science project during a science fair, which <laughs> just wow. goes to show yeah, how uh, scientific these people really are when it comes down to it. And feel free to Google that, guys, um, that, that information is sitting there waiting for you. I know we're getting close to, to wrapping this up, but I did want to talk about uh, your book, you had mentioned that you were writing a book. Is there anything that you could share with us about the book or that entire process? Sure. So the book would have definitely be completed by by now, but I've had a couple curveballs thrown at me, as life can do sometimes, which is with my, my health. And I did talk a lot about health because throughout my life I've had very, very good health, been very, very strong mentally, uh, no, well, not always strong mentally, that's actually bullshit, but, but strong physically. And I went a bit into diet on there, and then I encountered a lot of these health problems that I'm experiencing now. So in to be aligned with integrity and truth, you can't sell people something, you can't share something with people unless you know it to be authentic, right? So it's on hold until I get this figured out, and I'm, I'm actually slowly starting to make a little bit of progress. But the book itself, to summarize what it's about, part of it is my own personal journey and how that assimilates into the journey that is 
really the collective whole because it is very relevant. And then the other thing is to teach people about how the system operates, how it works. And when I say the system, I don't just mean government. I mean Hollywood. I mean the education system. I mean the music industry because it really is one massive, huge establishment. And the centers of information control, those hands, they reach into every area of your life that you can possibly imagine. And unless you have knowledge of their tactics, you won't be fully equipped to defend yourself appropriately from their terrible, terrible influence. So that's essentially what the book is about. It's about empowering people and helping them to discover and understand that they don't need a leader. They need to learn how to lead themselves. And the way that they do that is by seeking out the guidance, not of human personalities so much, but more human principles, which is, as I like to always talk about, humanity, integrity, compassion, peace, freedom, and above all else, truth. Because if we follow those principles, they will lead us to the best version of ourselves and also the best version society, the best version of a society that we can possibly create. Hot damn. Well said, my friend. Self-educate, self-empower, and inspire others to do the same. Amen, brother. Guys, I am honored to be a part of the podcast. I'm honored to be a part of this movement. I have the highest respect for both of you. And then to the listeners, to our followers, and not just followers, but more so supporters, because you guys are going on this journey with us. I have come to appreciate, as I'm sure Jason and Matt have over the years, that although we hear about the Martin Luther King Juniors and the Malcolm X's and all of these great revolutionary figures in history, I've come to appreciate a lot more the role of their supporters because without that support, these ideas, these concepts, these principles, they cannot be heard. They cannot gain the traction that they, don't, they so desperately need to help create positive change. Now, I know we are going through a storm right now and it may get more intense. But this is deliberate. It's intentional. The ruling class are trying to discourage us because, frankly, they are intimidated. And you know what? They should be because we are many and they are few. And they realize that if they don't start to enact these very desperate methods that they are implementing, the revolution will be inevitable. They will not be able to stop it. And you know what? The revolution is actually inevitable, but they're trying to prolong that process. But if we can band together, if we can find a way to motivate one another, if we can look beyond the psyop, beyond the way they are controlling our perception of reality and look at objective reality, the power of truth and the people that love truth are growing in number every single day. So that's all I want to leave with people is that don't look for the revolution outside. Don't look for it outside on, on cameras, on TV, on social media, because the revolution starts within. Absolutely brilliant. Yep. I, I agree 100%. I think some people would even call that evolution. Gavin, you're a force for truth. You've contributed so much to the freedom and liberty movement. I, I personally thank you for that. You'll, you'll definitely go down in the history books. I uh, look forward to your book coming out. Is there anything else that you want to uh, tell people where they could find you? 
they can find me on Mines. They can find me on MeWe. I am still on YouTube at a very, very small following. The best thing to really do is to sign up for my email if you can. I'm also on the more conventional dodgy media outlets. Unfortunately, we do try to go to where the, the most amount of ears and eyes are, right? So I am still on Instagram. I am still on Facebook. Until I obviously get a formidable following on these other alternative platforms, I'll continue to do that. Thank you so much for uh, joining us on the podcast today, Gavin. It was a pleasure. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Much love.